going to read from the scriptures. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Luke 11, 1 through 4. Well, it's so good to be with everybody this morning. Um, I'm not Kenyan. We were supposed to have a Kenyan preacher, but uh, he couldn't make it because of COVID. Hopefully, Joshua will be able to make it later when he has all his um, paperwork together. Um, The title of my message today, though, is Prayer is More Than an Emoji. Uh, This message today is not to protest the emoji. I'm not against emojis. They're just a modern way that we communicate. Instead, I would like to encourage you guys to have uh, more fullness in your prayer life with Jesus. My concern about the emoji is that they're just a quick response. When I see them flood by me in social media, uh, when there's a, a request for prayer, I sometimes wonder if people are actually praying. Or are they just doing this socially acceptable thing, like hitting a like? on somebody's baby. In many cases, I'm wondering if there's any real meaning to the emoji. You know, when I was looking for the graphic, I discovered that the creators of the emoji prayer graphic didn't create it for prayer. They created it to be a high five. That's what it was supposed to be. And and now it's become the sign of a quick, caring response to show that you are praying. My, My skepticism is because as a pastor, I find very few people today who are really devoted to a prayer life. Often our prayer meetings on Sunday nights are very sparsely attended, although that is, to me, the most important time of our week as a church. And, and one of the, my favorite times of the week, it encourages me and, and lifts me up. And we have so many people to pray for um, to come to know Jesus each week. And Nigel is doing a marvelous job. You know, uh, this is nothing new. Before we had the emoji... Uh, it seemed as if when people would say things like, hey, I'll pray for you, it was something that they said to be kind or to show good intentions, kind of like saying, let's do lunch. But then you never get around to it. So for myself personally, I was convicted many years ago that when I said I would pray for someone, I, I would do it right then because I could forget. And so Jesus said the truth will make set you free. So I made a commitment that if I said I would pray for you, I would do it either right then with you or right then apart from you so that I would not forget. And um, the Bible says it's important to have integrity before God with our words. And and, and that was just a commitment that I made. I, I, I purposely don't use the emoji because for me, slowing down to even type the word, I'm praying for you, holds me more accountable to actually pray. In Matthew 6, Jesus warns us about hypocrisy, saying the Pharisees just prayed on street corners to have a show, to, to be seen by men. Is it possible in our, in our busy world that the emoji could have been man's latest pharisaical show? Just a way to show the world we really care without making an investment? Now, I'm just wondering... I'm not here to accuse, but 
I often see people use this emoji, the ones that are using it, are people that are not very invested in fellowshipping with the bride of Christ. They're not engaged in a small group. They're, they're not serving others and, and sharing the gospel and conversation. And so it makes me wonder, are they really invested in praying for me? Social media has become this easy way to put on a show, to pretend that you care about lots of things without really doing or risking anything. Now, I think social media can be an amazing tool that we can use to demonstrate love and and kindness to people worldwide. And on it, we can pray for people and, and, and we can encourage them with scripture and we can be a witness of our testimonies. Like Marielle just gave a testimony that will go out on social media. I, I, I just think that it takes more thought. It takes more energy than just an emoji to really accomplish that. So today, let's look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11. And let Jesus show us the prayer is much, much more than just an emoji. Now, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Now, this text is often called the Lord's Prayer. Now, I really believe it's better titled as the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus is asked, being asked to be this, by his disciples to be taught how to pray. Most of you, like me, have probably heard this prayer since you were kids. How many people have heard this prayer before? Maybe a little bit differently. Um, we, some of us have memorized it. For me, I've memorized it because we said it every day in church, like a spell. I was given these words also as a child as punishment. After confessing to a priest, I would have to say X amount of this, these words as a punishment. The spell was like an eraser to work them off. You know, today, those views about the prayer trouble me more than the high five emoji. Neither honor the beauty of what Jesus was trying to teach us in this prayer. Jesus was not giving us the fancy right words to say to God, like a spell that fixed things and fulfilled some obligation to him. He he, he didn't give them to us to work off our sins, because that would be actually blasphemous to the very gospel he, he preached. In these words, Jesus is teaching us how to have a relationship with God, with his Father. And we need to think of these words as a guide or as an outline of how to pray, not specific words to pray. And one proof that that's true is that if you look at Matthew 6's version, which you're probably more familiar with than this Luke version we're going to be in the day, they're different. The words are in different order, and, and there's some words missing in Luke's version. It's shorter. And if it was all about having the right words to say, then I would think that Jesus would have kept his words the same and he would have made sure the disciples wrote them down that way. So I will challenge you that there is much more benefit in your life to learn the pattern of how to pray than the words to how to pray. And that's what Jesus is teaching us. So instead of learning a rope prayer or a spell, that becomes just like an ancient emoji. I think we want to use this as an outline. I've been using this outline in my own prayer life, riffing on each theme, riffing on each petition for the last three years. And I find more joy 
for hours sometimes praying this way to my father. Never found that in repetitious rote prayers. Those are boring and those are unfruitful. And Jesus said that in Matthew 6, verse 7. He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles or unbelievers do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. See, friends, prayer first is about relationship, not words or the amount of time you put into it. You know, most of us enjoy being with someone we love or have a close relationship with. The text says Jesus was praying. And and, and so the, the disciples must have seen the relationship that Jesus had with God. And it was it was different than the Jews. And it was different than the Gentiles around him. And so they asked him to teach them. And it says in the text that Jesus was in a certain place. Now, prayer is not a, a reactive emoji to Jesus or for Jesus. It, it was a proactive discipline in his life. See, there are certain places and times in Jesus' life where he scheduled where he would pray each day. See, many people only pray when they're in trouble or when they have a need. See, Jesus recognized he was always needy and that the world was always full of trouble. And so he proactively prayed each day to his father. If your prayer life is just a a reaction to life, it's not going to be effective. It needs to be something that's proactive in your life to make your life better. Prayer um, was a habit of Jesus. A habit is something like eating or drinking or brushing your teeth. It was part of how he lived healthy as a human being, even though he was God. Many of you are spiritually malnourished because our souls were meant to live on God. And an emoji type of prayer life will not feed your soul. Do you have a place that you go to each day to be with God, to be with your heavenly father? Now, the place isn't important, but a habit of being free from life's distractions and spending time with him is. There's a place in my couch where the seat cushion is well worn and the arm is tattered because that's my habit to go and be with God each morning. Do you have a place like that? In Luke 22, Jesus went and he prayed on the Mount of Olives before his crucifixion. The text says it was his custom. See, Jesus didn't even break his custom or practice even the night before he knew he was going to be executed. The same discipline he had for everyday life was what sustained him in the big troubles in life. And he told his disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. But they fell asleep. And they fell into temptation to fear. And they fell into doubts. And they scattered. Because they lacked Jesus' custom or discipline of prayer. If you don't need to learn to trust Jesus in your prayers, in the little and in, in the Father, in, in, in the little everyday stuffs of life, then you're going to stumble. You're going to stumble. The reality is we're all going to go through things that are much bigger. We're going to go through overwhelming things like death of someone we love or facing our own deaths, and we'll stumble in those times if we don't have this habit of relying on God. 
Emoji type prayers don't get you through those kind of things. The text says when he was finished, to me, it's saying that Jesus spent time in prayer. The disciples had to wait for Jesus to finish. Prayer, prayer was something Jesus invested his time into. His disciples saw the fruit, so they were willing to wait around and ask him, how, how are you spending this time with God? How, how, how should we pray? Ask yourself, are, are you just rushing things with God, with your own agenda? My point is, we need to be taught how to pray. And, and Jesus is not teaching us words or information transfer. He is teaching his disciples how to connect with God. And he says this, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, Jesus says, when you pray. And so Jesus is assuming that they already pray. They already do pray. But he's, he's directing them to do it according to his teaching. So if you already pray, we want to look at what Jesus is teaching here. And the first word he says is Father. Now, while that seems basic to us, this was revolutionary to the disciples. The Jews did not pray to a personal Father God. God was only referred to as a father 14 times in the Old Testament. When, and when father was used for God, it had the idea of him being a father to a nation or a father to humanity, not like Jesus talked about, using father speaking in terms of a personal, individual father. Jesus often said things like, my father and your father. And he taught us to pray as a group to our father. Jesus was teaching us to pray intimately and personally to a father that loves us. Now, Jesus was radical of the rabbis in this day. No one in history had ever spoken like this. He, he, he used the word father more than 60 times in the New Testament. And so he is trying to teach his disciples the correct relational approach to God. It is to be intimate in a personal way as like a child to a father. We don't need formal language. Just talk as a child to the father. You say, oh, thou father, would thou give me a soda? We don't say that. We, we, we talk to our fathers. Now, this word, uh, it, it was not a formal word that Jesus used for father. It was a common Aramaic word. It was the word Abba. Now, it is the word Abba is the word a small child would use to address his father with, like da or dada. And, and see, that's the relationship Jesus wants his disciples to have in prayer. Not a formal one, but a close family-like one with God. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Friends, if we are born again by the Spirit of God, our prayers should be intimate, crying out to our Heavenly Daddy, as Jesus often did. You know, a, a, a child doesn't ask his parents for things with flowery language or spell-like prayers. A child is just honest about their needs, and they cry out for help. And, and so when you look at this as an outline of how to pray, words can be dropped. They can be added based on time and situation. But the most important part, friends, is the relationship remains the same. 
For example, Peter walked out on the water, walking on the water, and then he started to sink as he saw the wind and the waves, and that created doubt in his mind. It created fear in his mind. He started to sink, and he cried out with a simple prayer to Jesus, Lord, save me. It's a great prayer. The relationship is all that is needed. Lord, before you can go down, help. The most important important part is your faith, friends, in the relationship, not what you say. Crying out, tree, save me, is useless because trees don't hear. Crying out, oh, great, undefinable force of the universe who does not know I exist is not very effective. It's too many words in emergency. You're already sucking water. Father, save me, is all that is needed because of the relationship. You know he loves you and will do his best. And his best is everything. Jesus is telling us for effective prayer that it's more about relationship, not how pretty the words are. My favorite um, prayers are of children and, and new believers. I, I challenge you, go pray with Marielle. She, her prayers are wonderful because their prayers full of faith. They're just honest. A, a child just knows they have need and, and they know that their daddy, God, can do it. I would rather have someone like that pray for me than somebody with all kinds of flowery big words. Some, some of the most frightening words that Jesus said are these. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus is referring to people who had religion. They, they knew the right words to say, but they only said them as a spell to accomplish what they wanted. But they had no relationship with God. And because God is good, they may have gotten what they wanted in life, but that won't last. Because God does not know them. Because they never got to know him. They, they never tried to understand the relationship. There, there was no interest in his will of them spending time with him every day like a family member. To them, God was just a cosmic vending machine when they had a need. He was not a father who they loved and who loved them back. Do you stand up God every day and don't spend time with him because other things are more important? And then only call on him when you have a problem? Do you really know him? Or is he just AAA to you? If your faith is just an insurance policy without a relationship, it has no power to save you. AAA only works on earth. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that? I go and I prepare a place for you. And if I go and if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to be with myself that where I am, you may be also. Do you see the relationship in that? 
it's an appeal to heavenly home with God as a family. Jesus then gives us five petitions in our prayer to our Father God. Hallowed, hallowed be your name. So in our prayers, we, we start out in praise. Start out in thanksgiving, honoring our Father for just who he is. Psalm 104 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. When we understand this amazing relationship with him, we, we will understand that we need to come to him grateful. Even if we just have little in our pocket right now, we come to him grateful because he has given us everything for life and breath and everything to sustain life. Hallowing is to give honor uh, and that's our obligation as his children. And if we are truly his children, we will cry praises to his name. In, in the Hebrew culture, names had meaning. They speak of a, of, of a person's character. In the Hebrew language, there were many, many names of God. El Shaddai, he is mighty. Jehovah Raha, he cares or shepherds his people. Jehovah Rapha, he heals. Jehovah Jireh, he provides. Jehovah Shama, he is there. Jehovah Shalom, he is peace. Hallowed is not a word we just use because most of us don't really even understand the meaning. Instead, we honor him with words that we do use that speak of his character. Lord, you are love. You are provider. You are healer. You are eternal. You are good. Jesus is saying our prayers need to start with this attitude of praise for who he is. Jesus is asking you to spend time remembering who your father is. And then he says, say, your kingdom, your kingdom come. Now, if your father is good, then you want to be part of his kingdom, of his benevolent kingdom. See, many people don't really pray because their lives are all centered around about building their own kingdoms. Or instead, they watch the news and worry all day about the different kingdoms of the world and how they will affect their little kingdom. See, true children of the king desire to see their good father rule them. Isaiah 66, 1 says this about our father. Thus says the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Asking for his kingdom come is recognition that he is already ruler which, if you do, will give your heart peace as his child because you know he is good. Remember, to give an invitation for him to come and rule in you, it's automatically a surrender of your kingdom rule. You know, the Matthew version says, your will be done. Luke just assumes those words because they're implied. If we're praying for his kingdom to become, of course it's his will that will be done. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to the world through his gospel. That our father loved us enough to send his son Jesus to die for our sins and his death on the cross defeated forever the kingdom of darkness ruled by the world and Satan. And this freed us to live forever in our father's kingdom of light as sons and daughters of a king. Look around this world. Is it broken? Is it? An American kingdom's not going to fix it. 
A Republican kingdom's not going to fix it. A democratic kingdom will not fix it. A racially just kingdom will not fix it. A more just economic system will not fix it. People will still die of death and disease no matter what kind of utopia man dreams up or or tries to put in place and kills other men to have because that's what always happens. The only, the rule of God will fix it. Revelations 22 describes what kingdom rule will be like. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, For the former things have passed away. Now, when we pray for his kingdom to come, we are praying for the complete fix. Aren't we? That's what we want. These knees aren't getting any younger. I want the complete fix. You know, it's great to pray for healing, but that's complete healing. It's a recognition, recognition that our solutions that we try don't work and that we need him. It's ultimately repentance, turning to his gospel as our hope in life. Jesus is not just telling us to say the words, your kingdom come. It's actually pray for the advance of his kingdom through his gospel so that he may come. So today, take out your cell phone. And I want you to put an alarm in your cell phone to pray at 10.02. Every day. 10.02. Every day. Because Jesus said this in Luke 10.2. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into a harvest. If the kingdom is coming, if if the kingdom coming is really your desire, then just saying those words is not enough. It is to follow through in your commitment and pray for his kingdom to come. Because to say your kingdom come has no commitment. Jesus says that his will needs to be done. And Jesus, you know, wanted to do the father's will. And so he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross and he died. It took a commitment. It takes earnest prayer, not an emoji or empty words to send workers of his kingdom into the field to bring in God's plentiful harvest so that his son may return and fix this world. The problem is disciplined, earnest desire to see that happen. The workers are few. There's plenty of need. Look at that board. There were only three of us to pray. And on the sheets, there were multiple names. The workers are few. Do we want to see his kingdom come? Then it's going to take a commitment of his people to pray. To many potential workers are out there just sending emojis on social media and and fanciful sentimental chain letters on Facebook because those do a lot of good. Instead of doing what Jesus taught us to do, to go to our Father and say, help. Right? 
Many who name the name of Christ are into good causes. And they should be. Like New Life for Haiti or Hands on Africa. And I encourage you to go out there and, 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 and get part of the box program and, and, and be faithful sons of daughters of God and show love to our poorer neighbors. But if we just do that, instead of pray, like Jesus said, for his kingdom to come through the works of the gospel, are we really expecting it to come through our good humanitarian work instead? I want you to think about that. Are we any different than a human NGO or organization to, to, trying to fix a God-sized problem? The, the, the poor around the world will suffer and die eternally in hell without the kingdom of God coming to them. So we can't ignore, and so will we. So will everybody around us. We can't ignore praying for his kingdom to come to people, his love and his mercy. If you forsake praying for the kingdom of God to come, no matter how good your cause is, are you really doing the Father's will? It was the Father's will to send the Son to die and then rise on the third day to save humanity. That was His will. He did not come to give us a better food distribution and better social service. And I, and I do want you to hear me clearly. I want you to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. But don't let that ignore or don't don't ignore or upstage the fact that a real solution is his kingdom coming. Because Jesus says that is ultimate love for the poor, for the brokenhearted, and for those who are held captive. And, and when we pray for his kingdom to come through the gospel each day, it is to conform our hearts to what his will is, not our plans or humanitarian ideas. We, we need to pray for understanding his will. And he says, give us each day our daily bread. Notice, friends, that this is the third petition of prayer. For, for too many it is their first and only prayer. They only come to God as a cosmic Pez dispenser. They come to him just for their wants and their needs. The problem is without a relationship to him, those, those first two petitions are often an error about what we really want and what we really need. The true desires and needs of a man or woman is to know and connect with their creator. But we have become deceived by our wants and our desires to believe that created things can satisfy us. See, friends, all of our hearts are idol factories. We produce idols. And if our prayers only deal with our perceived wants and needs, we'll end up worshiping those things instead of our Father, who is what will truly satisfy us psalm 37 4 one of my favorite verses says delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart that psalm is saying that god 
truly is the desire of your heart. And when you give yourself to delight yourself in him, he will give you more of himself. He will provide also for all of your needs. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers seek after these things. And and your heavenly father knows that you need all those things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things will be added to you. See, unbelievers, seek God anxiously in prayer, seeking the good of this world first. True disciples of Christ seek what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that... Then if we do that first, what will happen? What does scripture say? If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then what's going to happen? What does scripture just say? All these things will be added to you. See the order? God is the best, not the stuff. When relationship is first, our good father makes the stuff happen. But relationship is first. Slide 12. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. See, true children come to the Father transparent about their sin. Jesus is saying, sinless people, you don't need to pray this way if you're sinless. You're your own savior. And and it seems like most never really confess their sins when they pray. So if that's your attitude, I guess you're okay. Saying the words, forgive our sins, when you don't really believe you have any, doesn't do you any good. 1 John 1.8 says, "If, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We, we, we can't come to God as lying children. Our all-knowing father is the one that knows we are lying. And the, he knows the one we are lying to is ourselves. We must come honestly, specifically confessing sins to our good father. And the text says a promise. If we do that, he will forgive us. 1 John 9, 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Our Father has provided what we need in every circumstance. We need forgiveness, friends, because we're all sinners. I'm not the only one, am I? If we admit that honestly as we approach him, then there's forgiveness. My own children were in far less trouble when they were honest and trusted in my good nature than when they lied to me and continued in their sin. And God's nature is far superior to any earthly father. And he will forgive whatever is honestly confessed to him. And, you know, this need is connected to daily bread. See, I sin every day. I do. 
Maybe every hour, maybe every minute. See, the word sin is not just for the evil we do here. It's for the good things we left undone. See, maybe you can't think of anything you've done wrong. Ask yourself, what good thing have you what good things have you done with the gifts, the talents, and the resources your good father has given you? Friends, the admission of our sin every day helps us grow as God's sons and daughters. It helps us heal. It helps us become better. We we commit our sins specifically and individually. So we, we must confess them and because that's how we find freedom from them. We find freedom from condemnation and guilt when we do that. As, as we utter them, we also utter God's promise of forgiveness. And, and while positionally Jesus died on the cross and all sin was forgiven, we still need relational restoration with our Father by talking to Him about them and claiming His promises of forgiveness through His Son. Friends, this is not meant to happen in an emoji. It happens, actually, when we pray together. Did you notice the pronouns Jesus uses in this prayer? Forgive us. Lead us. Jesus taught that brothers and sisters should pray, sometimes with, to their father, together. So if you only pray privately, you're not really obeying Jesus. Jesus does tell us to get alone and, and be with our Father. But he also is saying we need sometimes to pray with each other. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and, and, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person has great power in its working. We are made righteous before God by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood satisfied all the wrath of God against our sin. And we are positionally forgiven and given peace with God. And God chooses never to bring our sin up again. But there's a problem. His enemies do. Satan will bring it up again. And so will some of his demons. And so will some that they influence. They will seek to remind you of your sin. And they will seek to condemn you. But when you get honest and you... Share your sin among God's people and then have them pray God's promises over you. Satan's power to lie to you and condemn you is then broken. And you will find healing when you hear those words. When you hear them confess things to you like, Therefore, there is now, at this present time, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's children pray with words, his words, hidden in their heart to restore you. They claim promises to you, which bring you healing. You can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Wounds need to be lanced to let infection go out so that good gospel medicine, his word, can come in and heal. Intellectually, you can know that you are forgiven by God's word, but God says that healing comes as we confess to one another, not a priest, as we confess to one another and then pray for one another. And when we feel that mercy and grace of God, it leads us to forgive others. 
We have that kind of relationship with God. We can't hold on to things with other people. It's not a, we have to forgive others so he'll forgive us. It's that when we feel the grace of his gospel, we, 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 we can't be hypocrites. We, we're supposed to be conduits where grace flows. And so when we receive his mercy, we flow it out to others. That's what God's people do. And it says, lead us not into temptation. In, 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 in the Matthew 6 version, Jesus adds, deliver us from evil. But really, deliverance from evil is being delivered from temptation. You know, James 1.13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one. Our Father is good. He does not tempt us to sin. So this is a proactive prayer on our part, acknowledging our weakness that we can become tempted to sin. It's it's sharing with our Father our desire not to sin against him so that he will come and protect us from running into even those things that might tempt us. Jesus told his disciples the night before he was killed, watch and pray that they may not enter into temptation. See, proactively, we should pray to keep from being tempted that we might not sin against God. James says sin is birthed when we are enticed by our own desires. And so when we pray like this, it's saying, Father, I know that even my desires, even my motives are not good or pure. I need your help. See, Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Praying like this recognizes the motive of our heart is often dominated by our flesh and our emotions. And we need our good Father to lead us before those things ever affect our behavior and we sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We need to recognize our weakness. Prayers offered to him should be completely dependent on our Father's goodness by faith. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Friends, prayer is much more than an emoji. Prayer is the gospel that we pray over ourselves. The recognition that we have a good father who loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a Roman cross to defeat our enemies, sin, death, and Satan. And then he rewards us on the third day by rising from the grave according to our father's good will and promise. Jesus proved that God exists. You know that? The resurrection proves that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And because of what his son has done, he has promised us all forgiveness and everlasting life to whoever will call upon his good name today. Will you simply turn, turn from your sin and trust in what God has done for you through his son. An emoji cannot save you. Some fancy word spell can't save you. What saves you is believing God about who he is. A good father who sacrificed his best for you, his only son. Believing that changes your relationship with him so that you can cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, knowing that he's got your back forever. And that there's nothing good he would not give you because he was already willing to give you his son. Prayer is much more than an emoji, friends. 
Let us pray. Father, we praise you, Lord of heaven, that you are a good father who loves us, who saw our state. And in your manifold wisdom before the foundations of the world planned to send your son to die that we might be redeemed and be made your children, that our sin might be gone and that we may be made a new creation. Father, I thank you for the work that you've done in my life. I thank you for the work that you've done and that we've witnessed in Marielle's life and the work you've done in so many of our lives. May we praise you forever for what you have done. If there's anybody here that has not received that yet, has not received that you are their father, may today they turn from the idols of this world, they turn from the things of this world, and they turn to you and cry out, Abba, Daddy, by faith, and be saved. Lord, you will receive them. You will forgive them. And that you will give them everlasting life. We praise you. We praise you, Jesus, for your love for us. We're forgiven because you loved us, because the Father loved us. And we praise you. Amen. Stand and praise our King. If you'd like to pray today, I'll be right over here. I'd be happy to pray with you.